It's springtime and story time. This is Way Over Our Heads, a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. We are socially distancing today. Kenny joins us by phone. Kenny, how you doing? I'm doing all right, keeping a safe distance. We are, you know, I know it sounds like we're right next to each other, but yeah, doing all right. South Minneapolis, nice kind of dreary first day of spring. So yeah, it's doing all right. How are you, Jim? Well, Kenny, I'm doing well, given the circumstances. We hope our listeners are doing well also. And Kenny, today we'll have an abbreviated version of Way Over Our Heads. We have a weather system coming in. Kenny, tell us about that. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's a standard spring storm. It's a low-pressure system. It's basically focusing its uh, energy off to the southeast, which means that um, most of Minnesota is going to be on the cool side of the system. We're going to have rain moving in. By the time most people hear this, the rain will have already set up. It's really southern Minnesota. Basically think if you're in Duluth, it's going to mostly be to your south. If you're in St. Cloud, it's mostly going to be to your south. And if you're in, say, Granite Falls or so, maybe Marshall, it's mostly going to be to your south. So kind of a diagonal, you know, southeast half or so of Minnesota. And from basically the Twin Cities on south and east, it's going to be, the precipitation is going to be a bit more significant, uh, anywhere between, say, a third of an inch of precipitation, maybe on the northwest side of the Twin Cities, uh, getting closer to two-thirds of an inch uh, on the southeastern side of the Twin Cities. And then basically south and east of there, uh, you know, into Rochester and Albert Lee, going to look at probably over an inch of precipitation. And as this precipitation, you know, you're going to see some rain, some heavy rain, maybe even a little bit of lightning and thunder, and then the winds are going to start uh, wrapping in from the northwest. It's going to change some of the rain over to snow. We've seen really mixed signals with this. You know, a few days ago it looked like we had a big accumulating snow system coming in, and now it, it kind of looks more like you're going to see mostly rain and then a changeover to kind of wet snow. And then some of that snow will start accumulating before it ends. We're going to see strong winds behind the system. So as the, as the snow is falling, temperatures will be dropping. Winds are going to gust up to 30 and even 40 miles an hour. Uh, again, if this were a colder system, we'd be talking about more snow and, and more dangerous winter storm conditions. But, of course, Tim, no one's really going anywhere. So, uh, you know, unless you're traveling really long distances, I, I don't see much in the way of travel hazards with this. But the temperatures are going to drop. A lot of that rain that fell is going to freeze on surfaces. We're going to go overnight into the uh, teens and maybe even single digits in some areas. So do expect a flash freeze and that sort of crusty uh, formation so that by Friday morning, pretty icy conditions on a lot of Minnesota roads. And then we just have a coolish, kind of a coolish weekend. And, uh, you know, nothing is March. It's not January. So we don't have any... It's, you know, it's not going to be well below zero with dangerous wind chills or anything like that. But, uh, you know, temperatures a little bit below normal until we recover from this. So this is not a major snowstorm or a major winter storm. It's actually just a good uh, spring weather system. And, again, it's really only affecting about the southeastern half of Minnesota and especially about the southeastern third, really from the Twin Cities on uh, south and east. Well, Kenny, we had promised a story when we started recording the podcast today, and for most of us, this is an unprecedented time in our lives, and uh, I think there's a lot of fear 
There's a lot of feelings of social isolation right now. Just kind of a great unknown that hovers over all of us. One of the more interesting comments that I heard was actually on a program on NPR where a caller referred to this time as kind of like a snow day. We'll tie a little weather into there, but only more ominous. And I thought that kind of sums things up quite, quite well. Uh, Kenny, isn't that something? Yeah. I think it's a lot different from a snow day. Well, that's true, yeah. Snow day brought, you know, brings millions of children or however many thousands are affected. Um, You know, a bunch of surprise joy. They, get, they don't have to go to school, well, that's and they get true. to go outside and play, and if they happen to be with 18 friends while they're doing so, their parents don't care. But yeah, Well, that's a good it point. Is, yeah, maybe that analogy didn't work so well. I mean, she did say it, she did say it was more ominous, but yeah, perhaps not, not the greatest comparison at this point. Well, it's all right. I mean, I, you know, I think this is what's happening, though. Is aren't we all kind of reaching for something that it feels like? I mean, you know, we're we're trying to find it. You 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 nailed it. It's unprecedented. I don't. I I can't for as bizarre as last March was or, or February of 2019. I mean, remember how we just kept talking about snow, 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 and it seemed like the biggest story, and that we'd never be done talking about it. And I mean, look at how insignificant that seems right now. Exactly. Exactly. Who cares about the weather right yeah, now? It's very you know? true. Well, Kenny, you had a story to share with us. So I am not immune to any of what you had mentioned. I mean, this is a time of, you know, I mean, our whole world seems to have transformed before us, right? I'm working from home. Uh, Everyone I know is working, almost everyone I know is working from home. I know some people who their employment has been suspended or they've essentially been laid off because, they, they can't work at their normal place of business. And, uh, you know, you go out, if you go to the inner cities, you go to downtown Minneapolis, it's very sleepy at the times where it's normally bustling. I mean, everything just, you know, rush hour ceases to be rush hour. It's, it's strange. And then, of course, the thing that's causing it is this pandemic, right, and concerns about about public health. So there are a lot of sources of anxiety out there, and I'm not a professional, and I'm certainly not a public health expert, and I'm absolutely, definitely nobody's therapist. But, you know, I think just like everyone else, I, you know, had some feelings of concern over, you know, whether it's the virus itself and how it might affect my life or people who I know and love, and also from the ramifications of it and it all just kind of the one area where i found it to be somewhat familiar is the whole thing that got me interested in the weather in the first place so you know when i was a kid i was actually terrified i was just terrified of tornadoes and this started pretty early i mean i liked garbage trucks until i was three or four and then there was a pretty fast handoff where I went from wanting to be a garbage man to wanting to be a weatherman. And, and really what was behind it was this kind of, uh, I don't know, almost obsessive terror that I felt about tornadoes. 
And there's probably a lot of different sources of it, and we could go into my family history and talk about how, well, you know, there's a decent amount of fear-mongering going on in your household, and we could talk about the Wizard of Oz and how that was a scary tornado, and it probably, you know, burrowed itself deep into my psyche. And then you could also validate that tornadoes are really scary. They are, you know, they're violent and they do damage. And at the time when I was a kid in the in the 1970s and uh, 1980s, there was enough uncertainty about them that they seemed, at least occasionally, to kind of surprise people. And so uh, there's a lot of possible sources of that fear. All I can tell you is it. It, uh, it definitely is what got me interested in the weather. I don't know if there's even such a thing, at least for me, as sort of pure passion. It's always, it's always inspired by something else, some other emotion. So one of the things that I realized was that the thing that actually scared me about, about tornadoes wasn't the tornado itself. I mean, it's as frightening as those are. It was that, you know, when I was three years old, we were down at a concert at the bandstand at Lake Harriet, and the sirens went off, and everybody just scattered, and my mom kind of freaked out, and we had to, we had to you know, run to the car because everyone thought there was going to be a tornado, and then my dad was there, but he was on his bicycle, and we actually had to separate from him because he couldn't get his bike in the car, and he didn't want to leave his bike there, so he biked home separately. And so this is kind of my first experience hearing tornado sirens going off is basically a panic. And, and of course, Jim, you know, and I think a lot of listeners know that the, the backdrop to this, to the sirens kind of triggering people to get scared at that time was that, oh, not even 10, well, about 14 years earlier, 13 years before that, was 1965, and in May of 1965, as you know, Jim, there was the first sort of successful weather-related deployment of the emergency sirens, the civil defense sirens, and they were sounded for the tornado outbreak of, uh, of May 1965, and just an aside, that had a bit of an effect on you, right? It certainly did. It was my birthday. I remember it quite, quite well. <laughs> wow, yes, that's right. Yeah, and you were just you were just a little kid, right? Yeah, so sirens are going off and people are in their basements. But on that night, that night, your birthday of 1965, the tornado sirens, as they came to be called, were used almost perfectly, right? I mean, the the warnings went out, the sirens went off, people went to their basements, and then they they. Or, or the best shelter they could find, and they sought more information, and then while they were sheltering, the tornadoes actually hit. And they ravaged, as we all know, uh, the Lake Minnetonka area and parts of the southwest metro and areas, rural areas just south and west of the Twin Cities, and then especially, you know, Fridley and uh, some of the northern suburbs. And, and these were multiple tornadoes. And so, so the success of that kind of misled us, because over the next few decades, we all really learned that, you know, detecting and uh, forecasting, detecting, and warning for tornadoes is actually really hard business, right? And, and especially over in the 1970s and early 1980s, you know, 
forecasters were often operating in the absence of anything remotely resembling certainty. They didn't have radar signatures that could really tell them with much precision if and where a tornado was. Uh, We didn't have a complete understanding of how tornadoes evolved and behaved within thunderstorm systems. Uh, We didn't have the kind of robust spotter network that we have now. And so really, after that event, there were lots of instances where the sirens went off because there was thought to be a tornado, but it didn't it didn't lead to the same result as those 1965 tornadoes. In fact, we had lots of what I think people would call false alarms, and, or at least maybe a very liberal use of the sirens. So my story in 1970-whatever-it-was, when I was three, uh, was just one of many times during my childhood where the sirens went off. We would go into our basement, or we would, we would rush home, uh, go to the basement, we would seek shelter or whatever, and then there would be an all clear, and we would come out, we'd go up, you know, and eventually back out into the street and talk to our neighbors, and in the majority of cases, nothing happened. I would say that, for me, the tornado sirens went off maybe 15 or 20 times during my childhood, and I can think of, you know, Jim, there was the Lake Harriet Harmar tornado of 1981 that didn't hit my neighborhood specifically, but it was nearby enough that we were able to see damage in other parts of the area where I grew up. And maybe one other instance produced some wind damage uh, while the sirens had been going off. And that was it. All the other times, there was almost nothing that happened. And it took me a while to appreciate that, you know, the sirens going off really only at that time, and this is, of course, different now, but at that time, it only meant that there was a a vague, a geographically vague risk that you could have a tornado. They, they couldn't be precise, uh, and they didn't have much certainty with, with the warnings they were issuing. Again, this is different now. I just think listeners should know if you hear the sirens going off and it's not a test, then it probably means that the forecasters have a higher amount of certainty that something, whether it's a tornado or excessive um, non-tornadic winds, are very close to your community. Um, So it's much more sophisticated and precise now. But the backdrop of all of those warnings and siren soundings from my childhood was that I saw an awful lot of people running. You know, I would see (laughs) the sirens would go off and I'd be at the beach and the lifeguard would clear the lake and everyone would go. I'd be at a soccer game and the referee would cancel the game and maybe wouldn't even have, because a lot of times the referees are kids, They didn't even have anywhere to go themselves, and they'd have to get into someone's car. Uh, You know, we'd be out in the street, and everyone would scatter into their houses. I was in a different city once when the sirens went off, and I saw people running into trying to get into buildings. And so what I saw was a lot of, you know, I, I wouldn't call it panic, but I saw all the fear that these sirens triggered. And that's actually, to me, what was influencing my fear of tornadoes. It wasn't the tornado itself. I mean, tornadoes are scary, but I was much more influenced by our reaction, the the reaction being the sirens going off uh, for the potential of a tornado, and then then what I saw on the ground, the human reaction to the sirens going off. And, of course, now, you know, the sirens go off, and you've seen this, Jim. People kind of wander out of their houses, which is not good. (laughs) they look around 
and they try to figure out what's going on. So, so basically, my fear of tornadoes, my whole interest in the weather, was really based on having the sirens go off and having things get kind of scary. And it occurred to me that the majority of the time, you know, nothing happened. It was, it was scary because of our reaction to it. And I've tried, and I don't know how good it is, but I've tried kind of tying that in to what we're seeing now. I don't know if you're following me, Jim, or if the listeners yeah, are. Kenny, are I, yeah, Kenny, I, I think so. You know, to me what this indicates, I mean, in this case, we're sheltering in place, more or less. I mean, not officially, since we haven't had the edict from the government yet. But we're staying home. We're trying to limit our interactions with others. We're only doing, hopefully, essential travel to get to grocery stores, to get to pharmacies, to get medical treatment. And uh, we're talking about something called flattening the curve, that even though we cannot completely eliminate the individual risk of contracting COVID-19, if enough of us practice social distancing, do not go out unnecessarily, do not mingle with other people unnecessarily, we may prevent a much greater travesty. And I think to your point, you know, people are, are sometimes uh, quite angry when tornado sirens go off and no tornado appears. I mean, I don't quite understand that, but they think, you know, well, hey, you interrupted my day. You know, we've heard of uh, television stations getting complaints from viewers who are angry because a favorite program has been interrupted because of severe weather. We've seen instances where viewers and listeners are upset because the uh, stations are going to continuous weather coverage and the situation may be two counties away from them and they're thinking, hey, this doesn't impact me. Why do you have to interrupt my enjoyment of the programs? But the sacrifice we're making now, and, and these are very scary times. I think we're all, we're afraid of the virus itself. We're afraid of how these very prudent precautions, such as staying at home, such as shutting down businesses where people congregate, we're very afraid of the impact this is having and will continue to have on our economy. These are very uncertain times. But the point of the tornado siren, much like the, the cautionary measures that are being taken now, you know, yes, for you individually, for your family, you may come through this completely healthy without any issues at all. But by doing this massive reaction to the situation by people trying to limit their social interactions, we can flatten that curve. We can not hopefully inundate our medical facilities with people who are ill. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a severe inconvenience. I'm not even going to call it a minor one. This is a big inconvenience to people. Their whole lives are disrupted. But, you know, the precaution, I think, is worth it. Yeah, and, you know, and, that's, and this is all basically the siren and our reaction to it. So what, what we're seeing is the siren going off, which is basically the authorities telling us, hey, you know, bars are closed, restaurants are closed, work is canceled. Don't these events are canceled? Please stay home as much as possible. And then, and then, of course, we see that reflected in our daily lives because you look outside, or if you are outside, and and it's probably good to remind people, you absolutely can go outside. You absolutely can and should recreate outside. But in any case, we see that. Just keep a good social distance. But we see that, and it and it, we're seeing the response. And then, if you think of what the tornado is here, uh, the tornado is that there's a virus that spreads quickly, 
and it's especially dangerous to people who are medically vulnerable. And if we don't do what we're doing now, then the, the risk, which is not even a risk, we've already seen it in China, in Iran, and in Italy, and I think we're seeing it now in New York City. If you don't do what we're doing fast enough, then the risk is those, especially those medically vulnerable people, it's not only them, but it's especially the medically vulnerable people, are, will overwhelm them the medical system for prolonged periods, rendering it ineffective for everything else it's required to do. And when you're in that situation, you end up with more casualties and, you know, especially more deaths than you would have if you take the precautions that we're taking. So the tornado isn't, you know, in this case, it's not that we're all going to die or that we're all at risk of dying from this or that we are all... Uh, even going to get extraordinarily sick. It's that it's a you know pretty virulent, uh, pretty dangerous bug, and it's especially dangerous to people who are you know on medically kind of shaky feet already. And we're just trying to prevent them from having undue and unnecessary hardships. And and so. You know, it's, I, we, of course, can't guarantee, and I think the medical professionals have been messaging this, you know, you can't guarantee any one person sort of their outcome. But for the majority of people, if you look at what's happened in China, where the, the at least the first wave has definitely reached full maturity and peaked and crest and come back down now, you know, it, it was a, a small proportion of the population that was infected and a small proportion of the infected population that had the really severe illnesses. It's just that even those small proportions were enough to overwhelm the system. And that's, again, an outcome that we really want to avoid. And we basically made a pact as a society to say, hey, we're, we're, we love our families and our coworkers and the people who are vulnerable enough that we're going to shut everything down to give them the best chances. So if your anxiety is about the medical outcome that you might face, you know, for most people, you're going you're gonna to be fine. There's the vast majority, you know, 98% of people affected have survived, maybe even 99. And, you know, over half the people infected have already recovered. So that, that's one piece of it. But then this other piece that you touched on, Jim, I mean, the sort of what happens us after we've shut everything down and where does the economy go i don't know you know we just have to we just have to hang in there i don't have any great advice for that all i know is that it helped me and i know it's helped some people to kind of think okay which part is my anxiety coming from is it is it because the reaction i'm seeing is so overwhelming or is it the thing that we're reacting to the the tornado or in this case it's you know the coronavirus and, uh, you know, it might help people just to remember that when you're seeing everything shut down, it's easy to kind of mix it all up and, and have, have it seem like, oh, yeah, if everything's shut down because of a global pandemic, then there must be, you know, a critical and likely health risk to me. And that's not really, you know, if you read what the public health experts are, are suggesting, that's not really it. It's flu-like. It's a little more. It's deadlier, a little bit deadlier than the flu, 
but that the vast majority of people get through it okay. The vast majority, of, by far the dominant majority, survive. And that we're really just trying to prevent that small proportion that really struggles with it from completely overwhelming the system. So if it's the medical concerns that you're having, you know, that's given me some comfort. I don't know if it helps anyone else, but as I was able to tie it into something that was familiar to a lot of us here in Minnesota, which is the sirens going off, I'm not sure how well it helps, but these are, these are strange times, and I know people take just about anything. Well, Kenny, this kind of segues into a listener question, and uh, I'll tee it up a little bit. You and I, Kenny, before we started recording, we're talking about how people working from home, people not traveling, has uh, decreased vehicular traffic. It's decreased the number of airline flights. So we're actually seeing less carbon being emitted into the atmosphere. And our listener, Mary in Minneapolis, asks, does a reduction in worldwide pollution, given the current situation, in the short term affect weather and perhaps in the longer term, depending upon the duration of time where we're expected to travel less, potentially impact our climate? No, oh, this is going to be a, this is probably not the uh, answer that people are hoping for. But yes, yeah, so we've had a long, you know, a pretty good cessation in air travel. I mean, I live not not right under, but near enough to the airport and some of the flight paths that airplane background noise is just common. And I don't know if you've noticed this in your area, Jim, but there's a lot less of it. Absolutely. I mean, it's in fact, I heard a, I heard a plane this morning, and it, it kind of reminded me that I hadn't heard one. I think yeah. three days. Yeah, it reminds me of 9-11, that week after all flights were yeah. grounded. Yeah, this does. So when you when you have less air travel, it definitely removes some of the cloud seeding materials from the atmosphere. So generally, what happens after nine eleven, when uh, was that you saw a little more sunshine making through making it through than would normally be the case because airplanes do uh, have condensation nuclei that seed clouds and make it a little cloudier. So in that way, yeah. I would expect that as airplane traffic continues to remain low, uh, I would expect that overall, I'm not sure you'll notice this on any given day, but we'll see an overall reduction in, in cloud cover globally as a response to that. That would be the one way that it would change the weather. So on those days, uh, you know, if the sun is out and it's a warm day, then you might get a slightly higher temperature and at night you might get slightly cooler. That was absolutely something we saw after 9-11, that what they call the diurnal temperature range went way up. The, the difference between the highs and the lows uh, kind of spread out a bit. Uh, in terms of the climate benefit to it, I mean, you know, if this is a really sustained, um, this is a really sustained shutdown of the economy, and we're just manufacturing less and we're flying less, then this is going to show up, this will show up on those global emissions and those CO2 graphs. But let's not kid ourselves. This is going to be a blip. At least it's going to start as a blip. And at best, it could be a dent. And the question is really, you know, well, what do we do after we we recover? And have we learned our lesson? Or do we just go back to, you know, good times, uh, heavy manufacturing, lots of air travel, and we didn't make any real changes to the system? Um, and as a as sort of a small dent or a blip.
blip in our carbon graph, you know, you have to remember that even if we're making these reductions right now that seem pretty substantial, there's already a lot of carbon in the atmosphere from the last several decades, and especially, you know, and more of it's from, from more recent years. And so that's why just making a large reduction um, as sort of a one-off doesn't have as big an impact as, as you'd like. But it should. It should be detectable in the measurements. I just, you know, don't know how many parts per million it's actually going to take down uh, what we see in those CO2 graphs. So, Mary, great question. I would say that in order for this to really affect the global climate in a sustained way, um, we'd need to see kind of across-the-board reductions and then also maintain them after we recover. Well, Kenny, in a nutshell, what can we expect weather-wise the next few days? Yeah. So, you know, the weather is definitely a small story, and people who are already kind of inside aren't going to want to go outside during much of Thursday and probably into Thursday night and maybe Friday morning because it's going to be raining in southeast Minnesota and then it's going to change to snow. Again, south and east, basically of Duluth, St. Cloud, and Granite Falls, south and east of there, you'll see, uh, you know, up to uh, a half an inch or even an inch of precipitation and maybe one to three inches of snow uh, this Thursday, that's tonight, Thursday evening. Uh, and then after that, it's going to be cool. It looks like we're kind of in a, a slightly stormier pattern over the next week or so, but I don't see any really big weather systems after this one. I just see, you know, these kind of disorganized spring systems that come through with it, maybe a quarter to a half an inch of precipitation. But uh, once you get out past a, a week from now, it's, it's always kind of hard to know what's, what's coming. Uh, but it is spring now. We do expect longer, you know, we're getting longer days. We're going to have more sunlight. And the one thing people can really hang on to, because if everything familiar seems to have been lost, you know, one thing you might hang on to is that, well, this isn't altering spring or your seasons. The sunlight is going to get longer. It's going to get brighter. So we're going to have more sun shining for great, longer parts of the day and it's at greater intensities. And it's going to uh, eventually initiate that photosynthesis, which is when basically everything springs to life. And we're only eight weeks out from having full green up here, where everything that has leaves is leafed out. And even before then, in April, we're going to start seeing kind of a progression, those emerging, you know, those small plants first uh, that sprout up out of the soil, and then they'll get covered by something bigger, and then you'll start seeing the leaves budding on the trees. So, you know, pandemic or not, Jim, you just can't stop the seasons. Right. So uh, you're going to have a spring. Well, hope springs eternal. I guess it's a cliche, but, you know, in this case, it's absolutely true. Well, I wanted to mention something, too, Kenny, before we say goodbye, that I have a friend, Allison, in Los Angeles. She's a Minnesota transplant, and she had a great idea. She decided every night she is going to hold a virtual happy hour for friends, invite anybody who wants to, who has the time, to uh, use a video conferencing service and uh, maybe raise a glass at least uh, online and uh, keep that sense of community going. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to start doing that. Kenny, when you and I get together again, 
Let's do that. We'll uh, figure out a way technically to get that done. We often record at Town Hall in South Minneapolis. Of course, it's closed for the duration, uh, but we'll uh, we'll raise a glass in a virtual sense. And the other thing too is, uh, you know, Kenny and I and and many many others have the privilege of working at home during this time. There are many people who still have to go to their jobs, and I'm thinking of, uh, you know, transit workers, city workers, uh, people who uh, provide us with skilled services, plumbers, electricians, carpenters. We have um, medical professionals, first responders, uh, people working retail who are uh, giving us groceries and uh, hopefully in some cases toilet paper and sanitizer and whatever else we need. And those folks are out there every day doing their job as if it were just any other time. And, uh, you know, it might be nice when you go to the grocery store to get your groceries or, or see one of those folks on the street just to, to thank them. Indeed. Yeah, there's a lot of folks who... Uh... There's a lot of folks who don't have the privilege of working from home, and there's also a lot of folks who have lost their their job. So we are we are fortunate, uh, and yeah, I think it's a, just a time to be grateful for what you have and to uh, have some some compassion and empathy for those who are in a different situation. This is way over our heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, we'll uh, connect again next week, and uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and to all of our listeners, thank you, and take care of yourselves, your families, and your friends. Correct. Hang in there, everyone.